Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out on your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Amen. Well, um, if you've already turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, before I continue where we left off last week, I want to um, tell you a story that many of you all be familiar with. In Luke chapter 21, there's, um, Jesus is uh, here, he's at a place where they're actually receiving an offering, and, and in Luke chapter 21, it tells us that Jesus was watching as these people were coming up and they were giving their gifts in the offering, um, and which, which right there is... Um, either encouraging or convicting, depending on how generous you already are, right? If Jesus sees our offering, uh, then, then that's either encouraging, like he sees how generous you are. He sees in your heart how you're willing to give and be generous. Or maybe if you're still working on that or that's an area for you, maybe that can be a little challenging for you to know that Jesus actually does see it. But here we're told specifically of a time where he looks and he sees. And, and the first thing that it tells us is he sees the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So he he sees these people who are giving generously by, by really everybody's account with the eye because the gifts that they're giving are many or they're large or they're valuable. Um, and then at this, this verse 2 of Luke chapter 21, it tells us that he saw a poor widow put in two small uh, copper coins is the way the English Standard Version says. And so here Jesus is seeing this offering being collected. He's seeing these rich people putting in many and much and valuable gifts. But it also tells us that he sees this poor widow put in two small coins. And so here Jesus has this con- contrast, this compare and contrast, right? Like here's a group of people that are putting in a lot, who are putting in very valuable. We would now say a lot of cash or large check or a lot of money. And then he also sees someone putting in what we would look at and we would say, yeah, that's not very much. Two coins is not very much, even for a poor widow woman. And then um, it says that he actually begins to speak after seeing this. And he says to the disciples that this woman who put in these two coins has given more than these rich people who've put in clearly their rich gifts into this offering box. And he tells them why. He says, for the rich people, they gave out of their abundance. They gave because they had it. Their gift was larger because they had more. But this poor widow woman, she gave two coins, essentially that was what we would say is a sacrificial gift. She didn't even have it to give, and yet she still gave it. The way he says it's that she gave everything that she had to God. Again, this can either be encouraging or challenging, depending on where you're at in your state of generosity as we sit here today. But this story is, it has always jumped out at me for, for many things, the obvious things that Jesus sees the offerings. He sees our, not just our hearts, but he sees what we give. And this isn't just money, but it does include money. He sees not just what we give with our money, but he sees what, he, what we give with our time, what we give with our talents, what we give with the things that he's given to us. And then how Jesus compares these things, that it's not about the zeros or the decimal place of where you give, it's about your heart. And what are, really more so about what you're willing to give, even sometimes than what you actually give. Even though, we're going to talk about this today, um, in, being intentional in giving isn't enough, you have to actually give 
<laughs> just having the good intentions of giving doesn't get you um, the same things that actually giving does. But here he tells us about this woman who she was willing and she gave all that she had. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, we've gotten through the first nine verses the last couple weeks. And I'm going to read through it quickly just to get us caught up. And verse 1, it says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So um, Paul is writing to the people in Corinth and he's saying, hey, I want you to know about this grace that these people in Macedonia through these different churches, how they've given. And he tells them, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So he's saying they're facing severe pressure. They don't have anything. They're not just poor, but they're in extreme poverty. And yet they had joy and they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. So they gave what they were able to give. And then he says, and beyond their means of their own accord. So they chose not to just to give what they could, but they chose to give even more than they were able to give. And then I love verse 4. It says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they weren't just coming to give. They weren't just joyful in giving. They were begging to give. They couldn't wait to give. This anticipation of the opportunity to be generous just got them to the point where they were begging for it and begging us earnestly. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves, and this is the key not only to generosity, but this is the key to our lives. They gave themselves first to the Lord, first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And that's the key. We always need to make sure that we give ourselves first to the Lord. And then after that, we should be willing to obey God, to submit to the people that God has put in our lives to submit to, and to lead the people that God has put in our lives to lead. And then he goes on um, to say, accordingly, we urge Titus as he had started so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace, this act of grace also. So he's saying generosity is not just about money. You've excelled in all these other areas, but make sure that you also excel in this grace of giving. So generosity is not just about money, but you can't use that as a cop-out to say that it doesn't include money. Generosity is about all areas of our lives, but it includes our finances and our, our financial generosity as well. And I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. This is not about a command. This is not about obeying a command as much as it's about um, authentic love. And because we love Jesus, because we worship Jesus, we're willing to worship him in this way through our generosity. And verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become Rich, and in my Bible right after that I have in every way. So we're going to pick up here in verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This matter is the matter of giving. This is what he's talking about here. This is what he's been building up to um, with these people in Corinth. I give my judgment. This benefits you, and we're going to talk about that more, Lord willing, next week, the benefits of this, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So here Paul's giving us some insight. This is not the first time that he's talked to this group of people about this. He has actually told them this offering was coming, this opportunity to be generous was on its way a year ago. 
And, and if you go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he gives us some insight on what he actually told them. Um, in verse 1 it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. Here's, this is so good. In verse 2 he says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited by the letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul here is saying, hey, don't wait until it's time to receive the offering to try to gather up and give your best. Put aside on the first day of every week an amount so that when it's time to give, you're ready to give. So that when it's time to give, you're prepared to give. So that when it's time to give, you're not looking at your, your bank account to determine how much you're able to give. That when it's time to give, you're able to have already set aside at the first, at the beginning, so that you're ready to give when it's time. Now, there's so much in this. God cares about order. He cares about being first. Not just in our finances, but in our lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first. First. He cares about first. The tithe, he tells us, is the first 10% of all of our increase. Not the second, not the third, not the last, but the first. God cares about what goes first. He cares about order. And this is not only an amazing principle to reiterate the first of our finances in tithe, but this is a great principle for us as, as people living on this earth, right? Like the first 10% should go to God. Whenever you get an increase, whenever you get finances, the first 10% should go to God. Then after that, you got 90% left. And so you should give generously. Um, you should save for yourself. You should take care of your responsibilities. Um, you should invest in different ways and whatever that means uh, for you. But there's all kind of different philosophies on what order the rest of that 90% should happen, right? Like you might read something that says uh, you, you got to save for yourself first, or, you know, there, there's some of y'all, like, you just know, like, if I don't pay my bills first, um, <laughs> I can be saving, but I'll be saving in the dark, <laughs> right? Like, you can read other things that are like, no, you know, take care of your responsibilities and then save and save and then take care of your responsibilities. Or some even, like, invest first in your future and then do all these other things. Like, there's a lot of different philosophy, and, and I would just encourage you to be led by God on that. But God makes it clear the first 10% goes back to the local church. And here's what you need to know about how you determine the rest of the 90%. Whatever you decide goes first is most likely to actually go to that place. It's the most secure decision of where your money will actually go. Because many people, what you decide goes second or third or fourth even, you start to get to like that may or may not happen. Right, so so for many for many Americans, we live paycheck to paycheck. So if you've decided the first ten percent goes to God, and you're and you're you're faithful in that, then then that is going to God. Like you're not going to get to a place where you don't have enough, and that first ten percent doesn't go because it goes first. And then if if you save for yourself second, then that's pretty secure. That will get saved because you're doing it second. And then if bills are third, then bills, hopefully we should all as Christians be paying our bills. <laughs> right? But then if investing, let's say, is fourth, then what happens many times is by the time you get to four, five, six, whatever those priorities are for you, eh, sometimes it happens, sometimes it may not. 
Sometimes it's just something you have written down that never happens. Or sometimes it's just something you want to do that you still haven't gotten to yet. And so what happens sometimes with Christians is they take care of their bills first. They take care of what they want to do second. And then they start to then get to third and fourth on either saving for themselves or giving to God. And then what happens is that, that like it happens sometimes and doesn't happen other times. It, it, it might never happen. And there, there's some people that, that I've heard, um, not, not necessarily in our church, but just Christians that will say things like, well, you know, I just don't have enough. If I had enough, I would be able to do that. Like, I can't afford to tithe, or I can't afford to do, put these principles in place. I'm like, I understand what you're saying. I get it from a natural financial standpoint. Like my dad's a CPA. Like I love, I love numbers. I, I like math. I'm, I'm weird, right? Like I like this stuff. I understand what you're saying. But this goes to more of what you believe than what you're actually seeing. I mean, it, that, that's really what it boils down to is like what do you believe? Because if you believe that you can make your 100% of your income work better than God can make your 90% of your income work, then, then you, you're going to try to figure it out on your own. And then when you're trying to figure it out on your own, like, look, you got $100 and the light bill's 95 like you only got $5 left. <laughs> like, that's just, that's just all there is to it, Right? But when you switch over in your belief and in your faith and start operating in a different kingdom, in a kingdom of sowing and reaping, in a spiritual kingdom, then, man, I tell, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Pastor Priscilla could tell you, you could have $100 and your light bill would be 95 and you could pay that 95 and still be able to go out and eat and still be able to pay the, the heat bill. Like, like you, you, you I was talking to somebody just recently. I don't. I don't even remember. I don't even remember who it was, but they were. They were telling me that they were. They're just in a uh, season where they're not making as much money as they've made in the past, and they. They were telling me like, Pastor, I don't even know how I'm paying these bills. Like, I don't even know how it's happening. And like, I get that. I've been there. We've been there. We're like, I, I think. I think I had like two years where I wasn't even really bringing in any income, and we had. I have no idea how those bills got paid. I have no idea how we were able to not just eat, but like go out to eat. And like we still lived our lives. I can't explain it to you naturally. We only had $100 and that bill was 95 and yet we still, we made that $5 work way more than it $5 was able to work. The only thing that I can tell you is no matter what state that we've been in, we are faithful to tithe and to be generous. All I can tell you is God made $5 in the natural become $500 some kind of way. And it wasn't some spooky, it wasn't some spooky like he, he made a $5 bill turn into a 50 It wasn't spooky. It wasn't like money just all of a sudden was in my bank account. Like I, I cannot naturally explain it to you. I, I don't know how it happened. But by the time I actually got another job that paid decent money, we were fine. I, 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 that's all I could tell you. I can tell you it wasn't weird. It wasn't like like crazy, like supernatural in a sense of like, oh, man, that $5 bill turned into a $500 deposit into my account. It was just God's faithfulness, just providing and sustaining. You got to choose 
where is generosity going to be in your priorities? Is God going to get the first? Who's going to get the second? Who's going to get the third? Where are you going to be generous? And Paul here is telling these people in Corinth when he actually starts this, he says, hey, put aside, he doesn't tell them how much, just put aside something at the beginning of every week because God cares about first. And that first, it will happen. It's much more secure than whatever is last. And and the reason, part of the reason that he's telling them here um, about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is because he wants the people in Corinth to hear and understand and know about the generosity of the people in Macedonia and the other churches. And so as he says this here, um, he says, not only have you started to do this work, but also desire to do it. And he, and he wants them to get to a place where they're not just putting it aside because he's told them to or he's encouraged them to, but he wants them to get to a place where they're putting it aside because they want to, because they desire to. And, and here's something that I've learned, and I believe Paul is telling these people this in here, that, that generosity leads you to more generosity. Generosity encourages generosity. Generosity, um, it it gets you to a place where you want to be more generous. But let's be honest, when you start this, that's not the case. If you could think back way, way long ago, years ago, when you first started being generous, like decades ago when you first, because you've been generous for long, like you can't even hardly remember this. If you can remember back when you weren't generous and you wanted to become generous and you started to become generous, there were all kinds of fears and worries that you had to overcome to actually be generous. Like like you had to overcome this fear of if I'm generous in this moment or if I'm generous with my life, if I'm generous with my money, will I have enough? Like if I give away too much, will I have enough? And man, you know, Satan, he, he pounces on that. He, he, he wants you, like that's, that's his number one play, I think. Like that's his go-to. Because, because he'll get you to remember times where you didn't have enough. He'll get you to remember sacrifices that you had to make because you didn't have enough. And, and he won't let you remember the reasons why you didn't have enough. Like you were just living beyond your means. Like you just chose to buy a Mercedes and, and you just got out of college. Like, like that, that's, that, that, he don't, he, Satan don't remind you of that. Satan doesn't remind you that, that that was like before you even followed Jesus. Satan doesn't remind you of, of like, well, yeah, but look at all these decisions that you made that brought you to this point. He just reminds you there was a time where you didn't have enough. And man, that was hard. And you don't deserve to go back there. And you don't have to go back there. And you shouldn't have to go back there. So you can't be too generous because if you're too generous, then you'll probably put yourself back there in that same spot. That's one of the lies Satan tells us, like, will I have enough if I'm generous? Which, by the way, is pretty, pretty um, introspective. It's pretty, let's just call it what it is. This is going to sound harsh. It just is what it is. It's pretty selfish. And, and also, if we're going to just call it like it is, it's really a place where there's not much faith. 
Because, because what you're saying is, God, you tell me to be generous, but I don't trust you enough to actually do it because I don't really trust that you will be able to take care of me. I have to take care of myself. I, there was a time where I had to take care of myself, and I've, I've built it up, and now I deserve to take care of myself, and I know I figured out how to do it, and God, I don't really trust that you can do it, so I, I'm going to work this out my own way. Like, like not y'all, but that's what other Christians do. And this is a fear that you have to overcome to actually get to a place where you live a life of generosity. Another fear or worry that we'll have to overcome is, is will I be wasting my money if I give it away? Like if I'm generous, is that a waste? And listen, th this goes across. Satan uses this in our minds all the time. And, and, and there's been some instances that Satan will bring up and remind us that will justify this thinking even in churches. Y'all ever heard of a church or a pastor not handling the money correctly? <laughs> driving in in a Mercedes when everybody else is driving in in a, I don't even know. Prius came to mind, but I don't even know enough about, I don't even know if that's like a, I don't know, I don't know. Or, or stealing or smuggling or, or like, like, we've all heard those stories. You've all heard the stories of people who go out on the street and they, they beg for money and then they go home to a house and a family. Or, or people who go out on the street and they, they have the signs that they're hungry, but then they take that money and they go buy drugs or alcohol. And so we have to overcome the fear of will we be wasting our money if we are generous with our money? Are we wasting it? And man, that, that, that is, again, like that comes from a place where we feel like we're more in control than we should feel like. Like, like if God tells me to give, then that, that's, that's, my, that's, all, that's my job. That's it. That's it. Like it's not my job to determine what that homeless person is going to do with that money. Because... He may say he's giving it because he's hungry. And listen, if you really have a problem with that, then cool. Go buy them something to eat and bring it back to them. But, like, I've just gotten to a place where, where not just me, like us. I know many, I've had conversations with many of us that, like, we've just gotten to a place where, like, if God tells me to give, I'm just going to give. And if you mess it up, that's on you. That's between you and God. Now, when you're talking about giving to a church, it may be a little different, but if God's called you to a church, then there should be a level of trust and faith because that's where God's called you. It doesn't mean that a pastor like me or a staff or anybody is above um, accountability or oversight, and we have accountability and oversight here, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about reckless faith, but I am talking about, listen, if this is the church that God has called you to, then God has called you to tithe at the church that he's called you to. The generosity above and beyond that doesn't have to be at the church. But he does say that the tithe goes to the local storehouse, which would be your local storehouse. When you study that out, that's your local church. And so I would say if you don't trust, and maybe this applies to me, I hope not, but whoever your pastor is or has been, like if you don't trust them with your money, <laughs> then what are you trusting them with? still going to that church right like like if if we if we weren't pastoring if we were attending a church which if we weren't pastoring we would be members of a church 
and we didn't trust the pastor in the handling of the money, then why would we trust? Like, if we can't trust him with the natural things of money, how could we trust him with the spiritual things of our spirit and our soul? You got to overcome that to, to really be generous. And then along that same lines, like, what will they do with that money? And here's, here's what I know, and I believe here's what Paul's saying to these people in Corinth, is that the more you actually become generous, the more the weight of those questions and the answers to those questions lightens. Like the more generous, the more times that you give and you stop being worried or concerned about what they'll do with it or if you'll have enough the next day, the easier it gets. The more that you actually live from generosity in every area of your life, the more that you actually want to be generous. It's not that you have to be generous. There comes a time where you actually look for opportunities to be generous and not try to avoid the clear and obvious opportunities for you to be generous. There comes a time where you're not afraid to do it, but you enjoy doing it. But this, this hump or this mountain that we have to get over is this mindset of feeling obligated. Or, or many times, I, I'll say in my case, being guilted into giving, into being generous. And we have to develop a desire to be generous. And this is developed in getting our mind right about giving and about God being pleased in our generosity and being obedient to God in our generosity. And if you're new here to Faith for Life, like, this is what we do. Like, this is who we are. We are, this is in, in, chap, in verse uh, 2, this is what we say about us. We overflow in a wealth of generosity. Like, we are generous inside of this place and outside of this place. Um, we, we had an E-teamer. Um, and and the, you, may, you may hear this story and may think, ah, that's not all that generous. But listen, this is not about zeros and decimal points. This is about heart and this is about generosity. We had an E-teamer that was going through uh, the McDonald's drive through And it was a really cold day, which um, you can start to narrow that down. That's like 15 days in the year here in, in Austin, right? Like it was one of the cold days. And so our E-teamer goes through the line, and, and you know how McDonald's does because they're not Chick-fil-A. So, um, you know, they, they, got like the two, they got like the two windows, right? And so you get to the first window, it takes you forever. You, you finally get to the first window, and they're just going to take your money, and then you got to get to the second window to actually um, wait to go past that to wait in another little area to get your food, right? That's how that works. The second window is just to tell you to move forward. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> second window, it, oh, y'all thought the second window is where you get your food? Second window is not where you get your food. Second window is where you go forward to stop and wait for them to bring your food out, which might be part, okay. So, so one of our E-teamers, they go through and the, the first window they pay and it was a really cold day and they noticed that um, the person working at the window didn't have any gloves and so the wind, like it was really cold and so they were clearly were cold and, and just from the time they got from the first window to the second window, God put it on their heart to give their, their gloves to that person on the second window. So by the time they got to the second window, they, they took their gloves off and they gave it to the person and said, hey, would you mind taking that back to the person at the first window? And, and, and give them the gloves. Like, because this is what we do. Like, we're, we're overflow in a wealth of generosity. Like, we are generous. We had an E-teamer um, that needed to see a doctor uh, for a condition that she had, and she believed that it was getting worse. It wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. And she needed to see a doctor, and the problem was she didn't have any insurance. 
And so um, as a good E-teamer is, she was in a faith group. And so uh, in her faith group, she just asked the faith group to pray about this situation because um, she believes that God heals and, and, and she knows that God heals, but the, situ- the, the physical situation was getting worse and she needed to go to the doctor, but she didn't have insurance and she didn't have the money. And so the faith group prays. And then after that, the faith group leader feels led to write her a check and for the youth in here, a check um, you're just going to have to Google the check. It's giving them money, right? Like, like, you know, <laughs> and I couldn't know what that is. Um, but, but, but giving them money. And, and so this E-teamer, like, man, they were so thankful. And so they, they got the money. And when they looked at the check, it was the exact amount that they needed to go see the doctor. Like, this is who we are. This is what we do. We're, we're generous. I'm not talking about just giving money or just giving to a church. I'm talking about living our lives in a state of generosity. And in verse 11, he goes on to say, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Our actions must match our motive, must match our desire. Like, like we have to be ready to give. This is why in 1 Corinthians 16, he told him to put aside some in the beginning. Because I'm telling you, some of the worst feelings of my life is seeing an opportunity to give, knowing that God wants me to give in that moment and not being ready. Because I spent too much money yesterday. Because I bought something that clearly God didn't tell me to buy. Because I splurged when God told me not to. And now I have an opportunity and I'm not ready. You know, it's one of those like, hey, can you, can you stay right? Like, can I meet you back here next Friday? Because next Friday is payday. Like, I really want to do something for you, but, but I, I got to wait until next Friday. And y'all know how this goes. In that scenario, you never see that person again. Most of the time, you never see that person again. And, and it, it's, it's just, we just weren't ready. It wasn't about our heart. We just weren't ready. Because we didn't do what we needed to do to get ready, to be ready, to stay ready. Man, let's finish what God has put in our hearts. Let's be ready. Let's stay ready. If you need to, let's get ready at all times to live a life of generosity. Let's, let's make sure that our actions, not just with our finances, but in our lives, match our intentions and match our motives. He goes on in verse 12, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So here's what he's saying. Be ready and be ready to give what you have because you need to be ready to give what you have. Now, now. We'll talk about this for a second because only God should ever ask you to give sacrificially. Meaning God's the only one that should ever ask you to give what you don't have. It's our job to always be ready to give what we do have and be listening if God ever tells us to give what we don't have sacrificially. But no man or woman or program or idea should ever force you or push you or even instruct you to give more than what you have. The only way you should 
give more than what you're able to give is if God tells you to give more than you're able to give. What I have seen is God having to play catch up on people who just give away everything when he didn't tell them to give away everything. (laughs) Right? And some of those people, they give out of a genuine heart because they're willing to give everything. Some of those people I've seen, I'm just telling you experience, they give that way not because they really love God or they really want to be a blessing because they really want something. And they think if I give like this woman that gave two small coins, then I will get everything that I ever need. And then there's times where God will give them a harvest, and it's meant to be a harvest, and they'll give it away. Be like, God, I just, I just don't have enough. And God's like, I just brought it to you, and you didn't even ask me. You just gave it away. God wants us to give our seed, not our harvest. But the deal is you don't always know which one is which. Sometimes what you think is a harvest is actually just another seed. So just because you gave and somebody gave back to you doesn't mean that it's your harvest. It may just mean it's your second seed. So you have to, as we previously read about, get with God first. Get with God first. Let him tell you when and where and how to be generous. But a man or a woman or a program should never be the one to tell you that you should give more than you are able to give. God should be the one to tell you that. But here's what God does tell us, that we should be ready to give what we are able to give. And we should be ready to do it at all times. This isn't the only time that that this is said. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, how straightforward is that? Do you know how many conversations I've had or people want me to pray for them or give them counsel on should I give to somebody in need and I have it? Like, like this is what Jesus said. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Okay, let me give you two more. 1 John three seventeen and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So when somebody needs $5 and you have $5 and you say, Lord, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, bless them right now in Jesus' name. Cool. Sounds good. You sound spiritual. Just don't read 1 John 3. Because if you have it and you see his brother in need and you close your heart, he says, how does God's love abide in him? Don't just love in word or deed or talk, but in deed and truth. Okay, okay, James chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, 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 these are some of the verses that I've I've used and I've talked about for for years. And um, recently, in one of our discipleship groups, um, Alex actually brought this up to me. It was so good. In these last two, in 1 John 3 and in James chapter 2, it's specifically talking about a brother or a sister. So I believe this is even magnified when it comes to other believers. I'm not talking about the same mom, same dad. 
somebody in the faith. So when you see someone that follows Jesus like you do and you see them in need and you have it and you don't give it, I'm not judging you. But the Bible makes it really clear. Like you don't need to pray about that. You might need to pray about how much. If they need $5, God might want you to give them 10. But you don't need to pray about yes or no. You need to pray about how much and when and how. I don't care if y'all don't like it. <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't write it. It wasn't for me. We should always be ready to give what we're able to give. And we should always be ready to give. But at the same time, if we always only give what we're able to give, and we never check with God to find out what he wants us to give, then we're in danger of that Luke chapter 21 story of being the rich people who put in a lot in the offering, but we're not putting in nearly enough. That if we never check with God on how much we should give, and if, and if, if you can never think of a time where God has led you to give sacrificially, or if you've just decided, like, I will never give more than I'm able to give, or more than's convenient for me to give. Man, I, I'll probably never know it. Maybe nobody in this room will ever know it. But you'll know it. And God will know it. It's not a heaven or hell issue. But if, but if we will make sure that we are living by faith, then we can't be the people who see someone in need and we haven't and we say, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. I'm going to pray for you. And we don't give it. Many times we don't give it because we don't want to give it. And the reason we don't want to give it is because something has a hold of our heart that shouldn't have a hold of our heart. Or something has a hold of our mind that shouldn't have a hold of our mind. There's a fear somewhere, and God speaks about that too. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. So I'm not talking about zeros. I'm not talking about decimals. I'm not talking about commas. I'm, I'm talking about heart. I'm talking about, I'm talking about living a life of generosity. You may be able to give a dollar. You may be able to give $1,000. You may be able to set aside $100 a week. Whatever it is that you can do, man, be ready to give. And be generous in your giving. And the more often you do it, the more that you will want to do it. And the more that you will realize that this is not a burden, this is an opportunity the more that you'll desire to do it. Next week what we're going to talk about is the other part of this, and God is so good, is the more that you do it, the more that you'll have. If God can trust you with your $5 and being generous with your $5, maybe if it's even your last $5 as he leads you, then, then God's like, okay, if I can trust you with 5 I can trust you with 50 Okay, if I can trust you with 50 I can trust you with 500 if I could trust you with 500, I can trust you with 5,000. You can see where this goes. In a moment, we're going to get excited about that. But if you don't get excited at $5, you're not going to have the opportunity to get excited at $500,000. We got to decide, not out of command, but out of a desire and a love and a worship in this season of Christmas where we're worshiping our Savior 
Let's make sure that we're just not worshiping him with Silent Night and the carols and the gifts, but we're worshiping him with all of us, including our generosity. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.